This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm talking today again with YouTube's Chief Product Officer, Neil Mohan. Neil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's great to be back. Neil, you are in a hotel room in Palm Springs. Why are you in Palm Springs instead of somewhere in the Mountain View, Silicon Valley area? I am down here, uh, Peter. You're right. I'm in a hotel uh, in the Palm Springs area because we are doing our Top Creator Summit, which is an event that we had been doing basically on an annual basis until COVID hit and brought everything to a grinding halt. So it really is awesome to be back in person with lots of our um, creators. These are creators that have been on our platform for a long time. Some of them are new. Some of them um, like to work with long form, others with shorts. And all of them, some of them with live. And so they all get together, uh, often mostly to just converse with themselves, compare notes, what's working, what's not working, what do they want to do next? And also with all of us at YouTube who, you know, as you know, build products for them every single day. Right. So because you 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 have multiple constituencies, you've got advertisers, you've got the people who watch the videos, and you've got the people who make the videos and give them to you. And then and then there's, there's money that changes hand. And we could talk about a lot of stuff, but I do want to talk about the news that you guys talked about today because it's you guys have already said, look, we've we've created this TikTok competitor. You can call it a TikTok clone. It's called YouTube Shorts. You've rolled that out uh, earlier this year. You said that a ton of people are using it. I think 1.5 billion users a month. Is that right? Yeah, 30 billion views a day generated from 1.5 billion users a month. And you said ads are coming, and today you said not only are ads coming, but we're going to share the ad revenue with the people who make YouTube shorts. And that's that's pretty meaningful news. It's kind of obvious that you guys would do this because you guys are already sharing your ad revenue with regular YouTube uh, video creators. But it's unusual uh, because your competitors, Instagram and TikTok, don't really have a program like this. So talk about how you guys share revenue with a conventional YouTube video and how that's going to change for a YouTube shorts creator. Yeah. Um, so today, you know, and as you know, Peter, I've been at YouTube a long time. And I would say, even in my long time here, uh, the announcements we made today were, were were pretty profound by by any standard. But for somebody like you, who's been following YouTube for a long time, as you said, a lot of it feels very natural to the creator economy that exists on YouTube. So taking a step back, since 2007, Creators that uh, were eligible for something that we call the YouTube Partner Program were able to monetize on our platform. And uh, the threshold for what we call sort of traditional long-form creators, for lack of a better term, was 1,000 subscribers or 4,000 watch hours per year. Uh, And then there's obviously other sort of eligibility criteria, our community guidelines, advertiser-friendly guidelines, all all of that stuff. And as a result, we've had um, you know millions of creators being able to monetize on our platform. And to be clear, what that did, right, is gave a lot of people the ability to not just view YouTube as a way to become popular or as a hobby, but some people made real businesses out of that. And there are complaints about how much money and the rate and all of that, but but it's really a meaningful um, 
thing that you guys did. Um, and your original, your original offer was, uh, you gave us your video, we'll sell advertising for you. You, the creator will keep 55% of that. We'll keep 45. And, and, uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is sort of the core of what we're looking to do with the announcements that we made today. So just to give you an idea of what that has meant, over the last three years, we've paid out on the order of $50 billion to creators, artists, traditional media companies. And um, that's something that we're incredibly proud of. The size and the scale of the creator economy that exists on YouTube uh, globally is, is something that's, that's, that's quite, quite profound. And so we wanted to take the success of that YouTube partner program and expand it in two ways. The first way that we're expanding it is by creating two new entry points for it. The first is for shorts, creators, as you mentioned. So if you're a creator who produces shorts on YouTube, you will now be eligible for the YouTube partner program. You need to hit the threshold of 10 million views per 90 days. And uh, when you do that, you can apply for the partner program. And then once you're in the YouTube partner program, you get to take advantage of all that it has to offer, long form monetization, short shorts monetization, et cetera. One of the other things that we announced today, though, that I'm also very excited about is we're going to have a lower tier for the YouTube partner program that will apply to creators that are smaller so that they can monetize not with ad-supported offerings, but with things like our fan funding offerings, like super chats, super stickers, super thanks, channel memberships. And that's another way that we're going to expand the monetization opportunities and grow the creator economy on YouTube. So those were, those were two of the announcements today. And I'm going to spend most of my time on YouTube shorts because I think TikTok and YouTube are, are, are fundamentally compelling things to talk about. But just the, the idea of expanding the pool, what does that do for you or for the user? The way I see it is you're saying, look, if you've wanted to participate in getting YouTube revenue, you need to sort of demonstrate that you're serious about this. This is a thing you're doing for real. And what you're saying with by expanding this pool a bit is saying, all right, some of you just want to sort of use YouTube for different reasons. Maybe advertising revenue is not that important to you, but you can still make money doing it. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Or, or, you know, think of an example of where, you know, there's a creator who produces incredible content, educational content, everything from, you know, how to fix my garage door to a particular niche form of educational content that might not immediately draw a very large audience and therefore generate lots of ad revenue. But I, there's lots of people out there who tell me that they would like to pay that creator something or show a token of appreciation mm -hmm. to that creator in some way. That was the genesis of the Super Thanks product. And it might be that that person who showed me how to fix the garage door saved me a ton of time and a ton of money. And they're not in the YPP program because they're not, you know, they don't have 4,000 hours of watch time on that. So, but um, should they be able to earn money on YouTube? We think so. And so the idea is to create a threshold tier that works for those types of creators as well. So let's talk about YouTube Shorts uh, again. It's your TikTok clone. You're you're not going to argue with me about that that description. I will add my my clarification to that. Uh, okay, but, but I'll let you finish. Your it, question. It, it looks like a TikTok. It feels like a TikTok. More important, if you go to YouTube Shorts, just like if you go to Instagram's Reels, you'll see it's full of TikToks. You know, from what I can tell, it's mostly TikToks that have been repurposed. I'm sure it's less high percentage than I think. Um, but I can tell, I can tell when I go to use it, I can tell my kids who don't have TikTok know what's going on on TikTok because they're watching it on YouTube shorts. Do you want your version of TikTok to be different than TikTok's version of TikTok? And if so, what do you want to be different about it? 
The way I think about it, Peter, is if you're a creator, we want YouTube to be your home. I think one of the things that makes YouTube unique relative to any other platform that's out there, any other medium that's out there, is it's a place for creators. It's a place where creators can build an audience, they can build a fan, fan base, and then as we just talked about, the 50 billion number that I gave, they can generate lots of revenue and build a business. And I think that the point that I'm making around it's a home for creators and it's about the creators being put forward as opposed to, you know, what's the flavor of the day, what's the sugar high of the day or what have you. The creators can build a business and an audience over the long run. And that's why we build the products that we do. And that's why you're starting to see with YouTube Shorts a lot more connectivity between what's happening on the rest of YouTube and the Shorts product. So, you know, creators being able to do things like remixing content from their existing long form videos mm -hmm. and have them become shorts. I was with uh, a bunch of creators earlier today and they gave me multiple examples of how they're using shorts to drive traffic to their long form video. So you can have linkages between traditional YouTube and YouTube shorts. That's one differentiator. I know when I talk to Instagram and Facebook, they'll say that they imagine reels is going to be more social than TikTok is. There'll be other ways to connect with friends and stuff. But if I'm just someone who's watching videos, I'm the consumer of this stuff. They all look the same. They all are often literally the same videos, same format, same mechanism. Should I be able to distinguish between a, a reel and a YouTube short and a TikTok as just a consumer? I think one of the things that you'll start to see, Peter, is us continuing to invest more and more heavily in mobile creation in general. Lots of it being shorts, doesn't have to all be shorts, but mobile creation in general. So that can be all the stuff that you know you think about when you hear the term mobile creation, whether it's filters and effects and all those types of things. Of course, that will be an area that we'll continue to invest in. But it will also be about all of these things that I, I mentioned in terms of connectivity, right? So for example, uh, from a viewer standpoint, if you open up the YouTube app, we should be able to recommend videos in your home feed that are based on the types of interest you've shown in your shorts feed and vice versa over time. And so that's something that viewers will start to notice if they haven't already. Creators will start to notice. And I think that that's good for the overall ecosystem. And so you'll start to see this vision that we've talked about, um, uh, that I've talked about in the past, others have about this multi-format creator. So you can do something in shorts that works for mm -hmm. you. You can do something in long form. You can do you know, a 15-hour live stream if you want. All of that should work seamlessly uh, on our platform. And just to give you a very concrete example, just to get, to get to the essence of your question, let's say you're a music fan. Let's say you listen to lots of music on YouTube. You watch a lot of music content on YouTube. Um, well, one way that a new artist or an, uh, a new artist or an up-and-coming artist can break a song to you is by using YouTube Shorts. And obviously, other short-form plat platforms do that, right, with trends and what have you. And that, of course, is something that we will deliver on YouTube. But the difference between YouTube and perhaps other, um, other sorts of use cases there is that you can, as a fan, now not just watch that 15-second clip of that song, you can tap into that, maybe watch the entire music video of that song, but you don't have to stop there. You can basically tap on another 
uh, link and watch uh, art tracks from the rest of the album. Understand that album. You can go even one level deeper and learn more about that artist. Well, where did she perform for the first time? You know, what Brooklyn stage was she on when she got her first break? You can follow her, what her musical interests are and build on and on and on from there. So it's a very clear example and one that I like to use because it shows the difference between promoting a single song and sort of getting that immediate sugar high for a week or two weeks and building the artist, uh, building the brand and the career of an artist. I like that you're describing TikTok as a sugar high or a, a fad of the month. I'm not, I'm not referring to any specific other platform. I'm just uh -huh. describing this concept of okay. how YouTube is in it for the long term for the creator and has all these multiple sort of touch points that are really interesting to that creator's fans. Do you want your creators to work exclusively on YouTube and YouTube Shorts? Do you imagine incenting them to do that? The reason, of course, they're working on TikTok right now is there's enormous reach and exposure there. And there's a handful of, of really prominent YouTubers, Mr. Beast, who's your, your biggest YouTuber and um, most successful one, saying, I'm actually barely working on TikTok because I can't make money there. Just about everyone else there is participating in some way or trying to work it out. Do you want them to sort of come back to YouTube and, and work exclusively with you guys? We want our creators, regardless of the format that they're choosing, whether it's YouTube Shorts, traditional long form, live streaming, to be successful with two things. One, being able to build an audience. So, you know, put their originality out there, their original piece of content out there and build that audience and then be able to monetize that audience. Those are the two things that YouTube should be able to do consistently for creators all over the world. And that really is the goal. Everything that, uh, that, you're, that we're talking about vis-a-vis -vis our announcements today is really focused on that. How do we bring all the benefits of that creator economy that we've built for long form video and bring it to something like shorts. So you didn't say whether you want them to be exclusive. So obviously you're not putting any exclusivity requests or demands on right now. Do you imagine at some point that becomes part of working uh, on YouTube shorts? Or do you think you live in a world where anyone who's serious about being creator is going to work on multiple formats and you've got to accept that? The way, the way I think about it, Peter, is what I said earlier, which is um, we're in this business to really be the home of creators. And so uh -huh. for that, that means being the place where they find them being able to build their most sort of authentic, true audience. I hear that over and over from creators, by the way, shorts creators, long form creators. And once they do that, also being able to generate a living, being able to earn a living doing what they love. And that's really what we're focused on. I don't want to be antagonistic. I just want to know that you didn't tell me about exclusivity, but that's fine. You're not asking for it now. So we will leave it there. We're going to be right back with Neil Mohan, but first, a word from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. Well, I want to get technical for a second. Um, on traditional YouTube, you guys would uh, give the, the creator would keep 55% of, of the revenue. You guys get 45. You flip that for YouTube shorts. You're also changing the way you're operating differently than, than YouTube does in terms of 
on YouTube, if I watch a Mr. Beast video, he participates in the ad, all the ads that are sold around his video, or the pre-roll, mid-roll, et cetera. Here for, for YouTube Shorts, you're taking sort of a pool of money and allocating it out to users based on, uh, to creators based on usage. Why both of those changes? Let me start with your the second part of your question first, because it's related to the first. So as you know, Shorts is consumed in a feed. It really is uh, a feed-like behavior where you're consuming the short, you might watch it again, but you're, you might scroll to the next, next short. And so really the user um, kind of modality is like you're consuming essentially every session a pool of Shorts. And so just like other feeds, it's just more logical to insert ad ad breaks at places that work from a user standpoint in terms of their time, etc. And so we want to retain that flexibility to be able to do that in a way that works best for users and therefore works best for creators and advertisers. And so that's that's the reason uh, behind the change. It's really behind the modality of how users consume shorts. It's how users consume it and also how you're advertising. So it's not like there's a pre-roll for a YouTube short clip. There's just, there maybe is an ad every three or four videos that I scroll through. Yeah, and it might be that the format of the ad um, over time becomes different because of the way that the users interact mm-hmm. with shorts. I mean, it really is this sort of like scroll modality type uh, feed use case. And so you can imagine uh, that, you know, a, uh, what 15 second pre-roll doesn't work in the same way in a feed like that. And so we're going to have to continue to get creative from an advertiser standpoint so that ads can um, play a fruit, fruitful part in that shorts feed ecosystem. And there's something about the intentionality too, right? I mean, you, you know, on conventional YouTube, I think the stat is like 70% of, of what you end up watching is based on recommendations, but you're still often deciding what to watch. You can just let YouTube watch over you, but very often you're clicking on stuff. Whereas in shorts, it's all just sort of a stream and you're you're saying yes or no, but it's coming at you. It's you're, it's a little more passive in some ways. But so you feel that this, this is a reasonable way to compensate people. And then in terms of giving them 10% less than they would have gotten if they made a, a conventional YouTube video? What does that tell us? So it's really it's really a few things. First, as I said, we're moving to this feed-based model as opposed to direct association with a video. And so all creators that are in that pool now, so it's as it's a pool that's calculated, I think over a kind of a 30-day period. So it is, and it's distributed by views uh, amongst that pool in that period. And so therefore the ad is no longer associated with any particular uh, creator's video or what have you. So there's that aspect of it. Um, uh, the other aspect of it is uh, shorts creation and other and many creators have actually alluded to this is just very different. Not only is it obviously mobile first and shorter by definition in terms of creation, we're also providing a lot of the tools and technology for that creativity happening. And so there's a big amount of investment that's happening in the creation process around shorts where we're we're going to continue to double down. You asked earlier, Peter, in terms of what are the things that we're going to do to continue to differentiate the product. A lot of them are going to be in this mobile creation bucket, you know, links to the rest of the YouTube uh, corpus, uh, better effects, better filters. And so that is a lot of investment that we're going to continue to do that will grow the overall pie for shorts. But we want to have a business model and a monetization model here that is sustainable for the long run. And just to be just to be very transparent about it, a model has to work for 
creators. It has to work for musicians. It's got to work for all parties in order for it to be successful. And that's how we ended up at the uh, 45%. And the, one of those parties is is YouTube and Google and your parent company Alphabet. And just to be clear about it, you know, at the scale that you guys are monetizing conventional YouTube, it's 28, nearly $29 billion last year. You won't be anywhere near that with YouTube shorts in the near term. It's easy to imagine that it ends up that 10% ends up being real money, um, especially if you're there's always a concern for any internet company, especially one as Google's age, that it's sort of its conventional business is going to slow down. So it just seems obvious that you guys would want to keep more of that margin for yourself if you could. Plus, it gives you the chance to, by the way, change that number if you end up in a, a competition with with Reels and TikTok. Speaking of Reels uh, and TikTok, Instagram and TikTok, Instagram doesn't have any version of this. And TikTok has announced a version of what you're doing, although it's going to be a smaller pool. Why do you think your competitors either aren't trying to spend at the rate you're spending or in Instagram's case, really aren't trying to compensate uh, creators directly for the stuff they're giving them? Yeah, I mean, what I would say, uh, Peter, is, um, and I mentioned some of this in my in my remarks uh, earlier today at the event where we were launching all of this. You know, I, I'm extremely proud of the fact that we are the first platform that offers revenue sharing for short form creators at scale. We were the first to do that back in the original days of YPP, all the way back to twenty. 2007. So let's let's stipulate that, that that you guys are out in front. Why do you why do you think your competitors haven't said, "Oh, that works. This this continues to work." Why wouldn't they use that same model? Yeah, I I don't know, Peter, you'd have to ask them. But every time I speak with our creators, they talk to me about two fundamental things, uh, which is what are we doing next to help them continue to grow their audience, come up with new creative ideas, and then help them build build a business off of that audience. And these creators, as you know, very firsthand, they are they are businesses in their own right. They employ people, they hire people, they really want to grow. And so we want to give them, through our announcements today, a program that allows them to do that, not just for long form and live content, but also for short form. When did you realize that TikTok was going to be a huge cultural and, and business um it was going to be huge and and, and a and competitor to what you did. Um, you know, you, you guys, well, you, you tell me, let me just answer the question. I'll let, I'll let you answer the question instead of me talking more. How about that? Yeah. I mean, look, you will, you will recall in the early days of YouTube, you know, the thing that was, first of all, it's kind of funny. The thing that we call long form on YouTube today, that was short form back in the day, right? You remember like the three minutes, mm -hmm. the five minutes, the seven minute videos, people were like, what is this? Who's going to watch something that's just five minutes long? How can you get into any kind of depth or, uh, or nuance in that? And obviously, YouTubers have proven people wrong uh, in spades there. But if you go back to those days and you think about those creators, well, what did they do? They had a camera on probably on a tripod. It was probably in their bedroom or on their dining table or what have you. And then they just produced that video. And that's where the canonical vlog was born. And so if you fast forward to today, what are these new creators doing? Well, they have a lot more technology in their pockets on their phone. They can be mobile. The phone is oriented vertically. And so they're shooting it that way. There's a lot more easy ways to mix in effects and things like that. And so to me, it's the same thing that's happening today with short form creators that happened originally with long form creators 15 years ago. It's no different. So why should YouTube's approach to it 
be any different. YouTube is the home of creators, and we need to be able to cater to all of these use cases. And of course, we saw and this and and to your question, like when did I first start to see this? Probably started to see this, you know, over the course of the last, uh, you know, kind of three four years. And it was around short form content, vertically oriented, being produced on other applications, but also being uploaded uh, to YouTube. A conventional way of talking about TikTok is they have this genius algorithm that knows what you want and, and they have all these different ways of figuring out what you want and, and that's what separates them. I have this hunch that's actually the format and the scroll and the fact that if something's boring, you flick through it in a second that, that is more meaningful than the algorithm. But I'm curious how you assess sort of the data that you have at your disposal and how you'll be able to tailor a recommendation for me versus TikTok. I'd also like you to explain, I, I used YouTube Shorts for the first time today in preparation because I do I do some real research for this. And I got a whole lot of Ben Shapiro videos uh, inexplicably in my feed. Is that is that is Ben Shapiro the starter kit for all YouTube Shorts users? I will certainly take a look at uh, your recommendations my feed? if you'd That's like great. me to. And, Thank you. But what I would say is, look, I think that what you're describing is, you know, the essence of what YouTube does. We're able to put suggestions in front of you of content that we think might be interesting to you. And obviously we apply, as you and I have talked about many times in the past, our entire responsibility framework to that in terms of, you know, our community guidelines and our, uh, you know, reduction of misinformation and all of that. I won't get into that stuff today, but subject to all of those tweaks to our algorithm, we're fundamentally recommending content that we think you're interested in. And that's the way the shorts feed works. And I gave you an example of where I think the the power of that will lie in the future, which is why shouldn't I be able to learn from what you're interested in your shorts feed and give you recommendations that are valuable to you when you're sitting down on your couch watching it on your living room screen? Are those linked right now? Are you Is my shorts feed uh, influenced by what I watched on regular YouTube and vice versa? Those links are happening right now. And they're, as you know, with our algorithms, that's always a continuous improvement paradigm. And so the idea of being able to bring the intelligence, you know, in my example of from your shorts feed to a video that you might watch on your living room television device uh, is, is, is an idea that exists that we're going to continue uh, to build on. We think that works really well for viewers, but we also think it works really well for creators. Uh, you've had a long day and it's late over here, so I'm going to let you go. But one last question. There is a report out today, I'm sure you saw it, from Mozilla saying the tools that you guys give YouTube users to to tune their algorithm, basically to tell you that you don't like a video or you like it, that it actually it's kind of the equivalent of pressing that closed uh, elevator door button. Uh, doesn't really do anything. First of all, is, is Mozilla right? And two, more important, how how do I, as a user convincingly tell you to give me more of something or less of something do and do you want me to be active in that yeah so i i'm not familiar with the details of their of that specific study i did hear about it um so i'm not sure of the methodology or really agree with the conclusions there but what i can say is uh when it comes to the recommendations in your feed first of all you do have control um being able to tap and say don't show me this um we do of course um honor honor that uh, request, but we take into account a number of different signals that go into your recommendations, not just what videos you watched in the past and what other videos are associated with those types of videos. 
but things like likes and dislikes um, and uh, a number of things. On the order of 80 billion signals a day go into the recommendations that are generated in home feeds and watch feeds uh, on a regular basis. But and what, so, what matters What matters more to, to YouTube, what you think I want to watch or what I tell you? Well, first and foremost, my belief is that when it comes to our users' data, our users have to be in control. So, Peter, if you want to opt out of your watch history, search history on YouTube, you can do that. You know where those mm -hmm. controls are. You can do that right away. And that, of course, impacts what we're able to recommend you. You might see a feed that looks and feels a lot like trending, for example, because none of that personalization exists. Let's say I haven't opted out. Let's say I'm a conventional YouTube user, but I'm, I'm hitting dislike or I'm hitting don't show me this. Is that gonna Is that going to effectively get rid of stuff, that stuff and stuff like that? Or will you keep coming back to me and say, actually, we kind of think you do like a version of this. Here's another try. Yeah. So it will be a signal that we take into account, um, obviously for the specific video that's requested. But I think your question is more broadly, like, is, is that topic of videos going to eventually get excluded or excluded right away? And we generally don't try to put entire topics in one bucket or the other. That has, you know, frankly, has lots of other issues with it. You know, everything that, and you and I have talked about this in the past, things like echo chambers and the like and rat holes, et cetera. And that is obviously something that we also don't aspire to on our on our platform. But fundamentally, we're looking to deliver the highest quality recommendation to our users. And every time we get that feedback from our users, which are directly the in-product surveys and other ways that we can capture that feedback signal from our users, our users generally tell us that they really do appreciate the recommendations. That is the heart of their experience on YouTube, both in long form and now increasingly in short form video. We're going to leave it there. Neil Mohan, YouTube's Chief Product Officer, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll see you sometime in the next three years. Deal? Thanks, Peter. It's good to be with you as always. Thanks again to Neil Mohan. Thanks again to our sponsors who let us bring you this show for free. Thanks, as always, to Travis and Jelani, who produced and edited the show. Extra thanks to Jelani this time, because he put in some late hours to get this one to you. Thanks to you guys. You listen, you write to me, you tell all the people about the podcast. One of you took me out to lunch this week. That was nice. Thanks for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.